We've talked about a lot of elections this year, beloved listeners, but uh, none stranger in its way than uh, Fiji's on December the 14th, which would elect a new Prime Minister. Think of this. Both the frontrunners are former coup leaders. Now, the current PM, Frank Baninimarama, has been in power for 16 years and his leading uh, opponent, Sitaveni Rambuka, led uh, military coups in the 80s and was PM in the 90s. Now, the election has already been controversial with arrests for vote-buying and an allegation of an inappropriate nocturnal visit to the ballot printing office. Now, joining me to explain this uh, situation is Dominic O'Sullivan. Dominic is Professor of Political Science at Charles Sturt. Welcome to the Little Wireless Programme. Now, I know there are no reliable pre-election polls, but do we have an indication at this stage of which of the heavyweights is in the lead? Well, there is a suggestion on the ground from Fiji that uh, a change of government is perhaps more likely than it has been in the previous two elections. And if an alternative government is to be formed, it's it's most likely to be a coalition between uh, Rambuka's People's Alliance Party and the uh, National Federation Party. And um, they're campaigning on things like human rights, which is something for which there's well-established disregard and well-reported disregard on the part of the incumbent government of uh, Frank Bainimarama and his Fiji First Party. Are are you suggesting, therefore, that uh, the People's Alliance Party is of the left? Well, it's certainly not an authoritarian party. Um, Fiji First, uh, as I said, is is authoritarian, but it's an authoritarian populism. So... uh, at the last election campaign, they uh, spent a lot of money on um, various things intended to help make people's lives better. But as a result of that, public debt is, is very high. And um, the People's Alliance Party is campaigning on a, a platform of both addressing um, high levels of public debt, but also um, being a bit more responsible with its money, at least from its perspective and in the way it tells the story. Now, um, so Dominique... It's, it's of the left in the sense that it's perhaps got a healthier regard for democracy. Listeners will only remember him as uh, Colonel Rambuka, the leader of military coups, who was subsequently, of course, elected democratically. What, he was PM from 1992 till 1999. What sort of a fist did he make of it? Well, uh, the the coups in 1987 and then the civilian overthrow of the government in uh, 2000 were, were, I guess, sold to Indigenous Fijians as really being about securing Indigenous rights. Um, There was some ethnic tension between the Indigenous population and the um, descendants of the Indian indentured labourers who... um, Came, came to Fiji back in the 1800s or, or from the 1800s. And there was a, a perception perhaps that um, the descendants of the indentured labourers were, were better off economically, had advantageous land leases and, and so on that uh, allowed them to become relatively wealthy, at least in the terms of a, 
of a developing country. And there was a sense that Indigenous land rights weren't being protected and so on. And that, that was the pretext for the, the coups. The first coup in 1987 occurred after the election of a, a Labour government, a government that was led for the first time since Fijian independence by uh, an ethnically Indian uh, person, um, Timothy Bavandra. And um, as I said, it was a Labour government. So perhaps the real reasons for discontent with um, those two coups and the, and the putsch early on uh, was really a, a politics of class, um, a politics of personality. Now, uh, I, I recall Rambuka describing democracy, and I quote, as a foreign flower unsuited to Fijian soil. <laughs> Have his views changed? Well, it does make his appeals to democracy at the present time and indeed at the last election in 2018 uh, rather ironic and rather inconsistent. Democracy suits Rambuka now, and it, it, it didn't in 1987. Um, and uh, that's why he led those coups, um, as I said, with the, the pretext of being concerned for Indigenous rights. But um, that's, you know, another one of the complexities in, in Fijian politics is that Baini Marama, although he's... Um, ethnically uh, indigenous Fijian. He argued that the policies that Rambuka's government had implemented in defence of land rights and so on were were racist, and he wanted um, uh, a non-racial... Uh, well, he called it a democracy, but uh, I think we can call it perhaps a non-racial autocracy. Now, the um, election has already had uh, more than its share of scandals. Uh, a couple of deputy leaders of Rambuka's uh, People's Alliance Party were arrested on vote-buying charges a few days ago. How widespread is, uh, is vote-buying, Dominic? Well, no evidence of that has been presented, and that doesn't mean I'm saying it, it didn't happen. But I think one needs to treat the allegations cautiously because there is a history of intimidation by Baini Marama's Fiji First Party of, of opposition candidates. Um, just prior to the uh, 2018 election when um, Rambuka was the, the main alternative prime minister again, he was... Um, um, uh, arrested and put to trial on um, what turned out to be trumped-up charges. He was acquitted just in time for him to take his place as a candidate. So uh, th there is a history. Um, the facts of this particular case haven't come out yet. Um, but as I said, one should treat the allegations with caution because of the timing and because of the history. These offences are alleged to have happened about six weeks ago. And um, if there was any substance to them, one would have expected perhaps um, the authorities to intervene at the time rather than leave it till uh, the week before the election. So we're looking at a Rubik's Cube of race, ethnicity, religion, class in these elections and Fijian politics more generally. What is, what's the demographics of Fiji? What are, I know there hasn't been a census done for years, but what's the breakup of the population? Well, the, the Indian population is, is declining. It, it was the majority population in 1987 at the time of the, the first coup. And, and there, were, there were certainly tensions in that time that um, 
you know, made it easier for the coup to occur, even though um, ethnicity wasn't necessarily the only reason or the, the main reason. Uh, so that Indian population has declined since. The political instability... Now, uh, let, let me clarify something. We're talking about Hindu Hindu Indians? Yeah, well, there's, there's, Islam is also um, significant. Christianity, though, is the, the biggest single uh, faith group. The, the Methodist Church was for a long time a, a key player in um, indigenous Fijian politics, but Bainimarama has suppressed that. The, the church wasn't necessarily on, on his side. It was uh, very closely associated with um, ethnic nationalism in, in, in Fiji, indigenous ethnic nationalism, and um, that obviously interfered with Bainimarama's vision of a, a, a non-racial autocracy. So ethnic indigenous Fijians are about, what, 60% of the population? Yeah, that's right now. And, that, and that's um, largely because um, of, of the um, decline in the um, Indian population with, with people leaving for other countries because, um, you know, with, with political instability comes economic instability. And... Uh, the, the opportunities to, to make a reasonable living, reasonable living in Fiji uh, have obviously diminished and, and people sought opportunities overseas and, and safety as well. Let me go back to my Rubik's Cube, which, uh, and we've talked about mm. race, ethnicity, religion. Let's now talk about uh, the, the factor of youth, because uh, I understand that uh, over 60% of the population are under 35 that's right, and of course those voters um, wouldn't remember the coups. So, um, what life, you know, might be like under uh, renewed political instability is probably not a, a big factor for those voters. One of the things I fear may occur if there is a change of government is that there is that constitutional oversight that the the, the military has. You know, in Australia we have theoretically anyway, um, that oversight of the process provided by the Governor-General. Um, and while Fiji has a precedent to fulfil some of those functions, the Office of President is, is also effectively subject to that military oversight. And um, if the election doesn't go the way that uh, the military wants it, then um, we, we could be in for further instability. Um, I'm not suggesting that could happen immediately. Indeed, the head of the military um, just in the last little while has come out and uh, said quite strongly that the um, election outcome should be respected and he's encouraged soldiers to to vote and take their part in the democratic process and so on. But one can't be confident that that view won't change if... Um, you know, military power brokers uh, decide that it should change. So the so coup to end all coups could be followed by yet another coup. Now, another fascinating player in Fiji politics is the so-called Minister for Everything. Now, we're not talking about Scott <laughs> Morrison here, are we? Uh, Minister for A to Z. Tell us about him. Well, he's, he's the Attorney-General and he's Secretary-General of his party, and holds a number of other uh, portfolios in government. But he seems to be Bainimarama's chief offsider and uh, quite quite an autocrat. 
Uh, there was a case just uh, the other week where a, an opposition party candidate and then fairly prominent lawyer and critic of the government uh, made a, a light-hearted Facebook comment about a um, misuse of a word in a um, high court judgment. He was um, charged on the Attorney-General's instruction of um, contempt of court. And um, that, again, the evidence would suggest was a, a, a politically trumped-up charge and um, consistent with the intimidatory tactics that uh, the government uses. And the Attorney-General is a, a key player in that. And um, probably Bainamara, the successor at some point, if uh, Fiji first remains a, a force in Fijian politics. Now, the Minister for Everything made a uh, visit to the to the state printery early on December the 1st. Election officials asked him to leave because uh, ballots were being printed. A big row? Well, that's the allegation. It, it hasn't been proved at this point. Indeed, the um, Ele- Electoral Commission has uh, denied that it happened. And um, the um, allegation was made by um, the National Federation Party, the party that is uh, potentially a a junior coalition partner in government with um, Rambuka's party. So the allegation was made, but I've seen the letter and um, it, it doesn't actually say where the allegation comes from. It uses the phrase, we understand, or, or something to that effect. Uh, so no, no evidence, no source at all is provided. So it's, it's it's quite mysterious. And the National Federation Party is a serious political party. It's not the sort of party that is likely to have made things up. But it's very odd that it, it hasn't been specific. And um, in very emotive language, the electoral... Um, Officials have rejected the claim, but I would imagine if there's any truth to it, it will certainly um, remain a story for the next few days. And uh, this is one we're just going to have to keep watching, I think, to to get to the bottom of it. While you're with us, Dominic, I must ask you about uh, China's interest and growing influence in the area. Are there any differences between the candidates in terms of their position on China? This is a really important question, I think, in terms of Australian foreign policy and in terms of um, um, the, the foreign policy of, of really the, the entire Pacific region because Australia and, and New Zealand is, is the, the big established and, and uh, most stable democracies in the, in the region, really put a lot of pressure on Fiji at the times of, of the coups and... Uh, you know, led the move to have them suspended from the Pacific Islands Forum and so on, and and tried to um, use quite quite assertive diplomatic pressures to um, force them to to reinstate democracy, and that was perhaps one of the reasons that it it, it didn't happen. Bainimarama, after his coup in 2006, appointed himself prime minister, and it wasn't until 2014 that the the voters confirmed that through um, a, a, an election. So what what occurred at that time is that because of the the pressures from Australia and New Zealand, which had traditionally been very strong and important um, uh, partners of Fiji, Bainamara developed what he called a, 
the, the look north policy, north to, to China in particular. And China, of course, had no interest in, in democracy and um, no interest in, in putting pressure on Fiji to respect human rights and so on. And, and has become quite an important uh, bilateral partner to Fiji. So um, with a, a change of government and um, the alternative parties being more committed to human rights and being committed to having a look at the constitution to see if it needs to be improved, that should, I think, make it easier for Australia and New Zealand to have the, the closer relationships that they would perhaps like, not only because it's uh, in both their um, interests to have good relationships with Fiji, but it also makes it less likely for Fiji to become an important ally of China as it tries to establish military bases and so on in, in the region. So I think, yeah, it is a significant election in terms of China's aspirations in, in, in the region and how Australia manages its, its foreign policy approach to both Fiji and China. Dominic, thanks for your time. Dominic O'Sullivan, Professor of Political Science at Charles Sturt University. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.